0: We love to gather together and sing the praises of God. One day soon, we'll be gathering together in person instead of this remote way. And we look forward to that day. But for now, we are still in the upper room with Jesus. If you have your Bibles or your devices to look to John chapter 17, where Jesus prays for himself, for his disciples and for those who will believe through their message. We looked last week at the first verses and how Jesus Prayed for himself and what he said about himself. He came to his father in perfect timing, in ultimate trust and dependence and complete obedience. We looked at what Jesus said he came to accomplish. And from these verses, he said he had given them the very name, the nature of God. He had given them the words of God, which are crucial to us. He had given them the glory of God, which was both substance and radiance as we receive the power of his Holy Spirit. He had given them the protection of God and would continue to protect them. And he gave them his commission that they should go into all the world and share the good news as his witnesses. We want to pick it up this day and look at what Jesus says about disciples. Let's read the verses from 6 down through verse 19 in chapter 17 of John. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have obeyed your words. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine, and glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world. I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by the name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that scripture would be fulfilled. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your words and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. Last week, we took the sayings of Jesus and kind of whittled them down to what he has said about himself. Let's reduce these things that he says about disciples into four areas that we will look at this morning. First of all, disciples are those who keep his words, who obey him. The second thing he lifts out about disciples is that we know who Jesus is, that he is sent from God and who he is in regard to us. The third thing he says about them is that they belong to God and they're aware of that belongingness, that we are his. And finally, he says we are in the world, but not of the world. In order to go forward, Let's take a little journey backward with John, because Jesus has been with these disciples for three years. The word disciple means learner. They have been his learners for these years, as he has pointed out to them the things they need to know in order to follow him. In chapter five and verse 24, he says, he who hears and believes will receive eternal life. This is not just cognitive. This is not just hearing the word. This is putting the word into action in our own lives to obey him, to take action. In chapter 8, and verse 31, he says, My disciples are the ones who hold to my teaching. And just six verses later, he says, You are not my disciples if you have no room for my word. And then the words we've heard in the upper room in the weeks that we've been together. In chapter 14, he says, Those who love me and obey, I will show myself to them. In verse 26 and 14, he says, I will teach you all things. And in chapter 15, a couple of things, he says, if you obey my commands, you remain in my love, where he talks about abiding in him, living within his presence. And in 15:14, you are my friends if you do what I command. He goes on to say how the world has hated him and would hate his disciples as well. And we come to that conflict in the midst of a world that does not love him as we love him. But John, at the end of his gospel, says all these things have been written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ and by believing have life through his name. And so we want to take these verses and see what it means to be obedient, to keep his words. This is a theme that Jesus has been giving over and over throughout his ministry. If you love me, obey me. Obey my Words. We often think of discipleship in huge concepts when we should try to bring it down to the simplest of terms. Twenty years ago, just before his death, Dana Walling spoke to the students at Point Loma and to all of us listening that day and gave his very simple creed. Each day, find what you can do for Jesus and do it. It's that kind of childlike simplicity that brings us to discipleship. Find what I can do for Jesus today and do it. Act upon what I know. We try to teach our children obedience, and we don't start with concepts that are too big for them. I don't tell my toddler, you know, I'm watching the game, go make dinner. But I can tell my toddler, playtime is over, let's pick up your toys. And we begin at a level where they can relate And so God begins with us when we come to our obedience at a level where we can relate to him. Obey what you can understand and what you can do. Because between the the small things that we won't do and the great things that we can't do, the danger is that we will do nothing. We need to understand that he has things for us to accomplish for his kingdom. In Matthew 25, in the parable of the talents, he says to those faithful servants, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. He starts us out with little steps of obedience that he might entrust us with more. So to obey his words is a mark of a disciple, a learner in this day by day walk. We memorized it early. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. When I'm walking down a dark path and have just a flashlight in my hands, I don't see the whole pathway, but I see enough to guide me in those next few steps. He will always give us enough light for those next few steps. He may not give us a picture of the entire journey. We probably couldn't take that in, but he will light our pathway with his truth. We need to be very careful here because often we get things backwards It is not disciples know who Jesus is, and therefore they will obey his words. We don't wait until we know him fully before we obey. We start with these steps of obedience. Disciples obey his words, and therefore we begin to know him in his fullness, in the midst of that obedience. So we come to the second thing Jesus says about disciples. They know him. They know who Jesus is. We don't start at full understanding. Some seem to want to wait for that full understanding before they begin to obey. But the word here in Jesus' prayer says, as we obey, we come to know with assurance who he is. His spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. We find that assurance, that knowledge of him. Look at at the twelve disciples. They didn't begin by understanding all of the great concepts. They started by following and obeying. And then they began to grow into these great concepts. Things like incarnation, God becoming man, agape love, the resurrection, eternal life. Things that were too big for them to even begin to grasp at the start. Jesus accepted them right where he met them. Come, you are fishermen, I'll make you fishers of men. Come, Matthew, away from your tax table and I will help you to really change people's lives. This is not a sermon on spiritual Disciplines, But we need to pull this in a little bit because this is what we're talking about. See, the revelation of God comes at the point of our obedient response. And so we know the things we are to do. We know them from Scripture. We know them from our life with Christ. We are to study his word. We are to pray. We are to join together in fellowship. We are to worship him and worship with each other. We are to perform the good works he has called us to do. We are to meditate, we are to fast, we are to give, we are to accept the sacraments. Revelation doesn't just come out of the blue, it comes when we're right in the middle of these spiritual disciplines of the everyday walk with Christ. I would invite you to follow up a study on spiritual disciplines by uh, studying the books of Dallas Willard or Richard Foster, who have written extensively on these topics. In the midst of those spiritual disciplines, we find Christ. We want assurance, but we seem to want it with shortcuts. He wants to lead us into that truth. We want great emotional experiences. We want to know beyond a shadow of a doubt. We want the Holy Spirit to sneak up on us and just lead us into ecstasy. But the word says the way to assurance is obedience. And so the first thing, we obey him. And by that, we come to know him. Elton Trueblood said it very poetically. He said, the eyes of the soul are washed By obedience. Our obedience gives us that clear picture of who God is. Do you want to know him? Do you want to be a true disciple? Obey his words. And so we study his word when we come together. Be that in a worship service like this, in your private time of devotion, whenever we gather around the word of God. Don't seek a mystical revelation, but begin with that step-by-step process of obedience at the level where you are. The marvelous thing about this Christian walk is that the word is true at every step of our growth and we recognize that we grow with him. So we're not all at the same place of commitment. Therefore, we're not all at the same place of obedience. Not all at the same place of understanding, but he's bringing us along and those who are farther down the road lead the rest of us along with them. New believers remind us of the joy of salvation and reach to us for wisdom and for how they can progress along this road as well. We keep looping back to Philippians 1, 1.6, one of my life verses, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. We all need to keep growing in the Lord. It's for our own benefit and it's for the benefit of the body. We are in this together. Your church needs you to keep growing in Christ. We want to do that as he leads us. So, if you will begin to obey, not what you don't know or what you can't do, but what you do know and what you can do, he will then tell you who he is. And what a privilege to know Christ. It's the essence of what it means to be a Christian. Jesus, was, when he was indicting those who were followers but did, didn't know him, he said, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. This knowledge of him is crucial to who we are. So our total trust is in Christ. Others may seek answers in legalism or power or materialism or sensual indulgence. We stand on the rock of Jesus Christ. Jesus says in Matthew 7, Whoever hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is wise. You built your house on the foundation of Jesus Christ. And so we recognize the power of that. Jesus' call to discipleship is a call to obey and to know. So those first two things that he says about disciples is that we obey him and we know him. And then he moves on to say we belong to God. Paul speaks so often in his writings about being a love slave to Jesus Christ. When he writes to the Roman church he says I was a slave to sin, but now I am a slave to righteousness. I am a slave by my choice, a bond slave, one who willingly gives himself to his master. We belong to God. He writes to the Corinthian church and says, You are bought with a price. You are not your own. You are bought with a price. The price of God giving Jesus, the price of Calvary, the price of the resurrection, the price of the Holy Spirit living within us. At great cost, we have been purchased. We belong to God. Now, I'm not speaking here about the ownership that comes by creation. God created everyone who has ever walked this earth, but not all our disciples. His creation was spoiled by sin, but some have been won back. And that ownership now comes from his sacrificial purchase of who we are. The little boy's favorite thing was to hang out with his grandpa. He would rather sit with his grandpa for hours than go and play with the other boys. He loved watching his grandfather whittle. He marveled that he could take a simple block of wood and in the passage of a few hours could carve that into something that came alive be it an animal or a boat or anything that he would make. The young boy was just fascinated by this. And he said the greatest gift he ever received was on his 10th birthday when his grandfather finally thought he was old enough to handle his own carving knife and his own block of wood. And he opened that and his grandfather said, now I'll start to train you and teach you what you can make out of that block of wood. He decided the first project would be a sailboat. He had seen his grandfather make them and he wanted to make his own sailboat that he could Float on the river right outside of town. And so he began. His grandfather gave him a little model of what he was to do. a perfect block of wood for it. He began whittling away until he had the hull of his boat. He then formed a mast and got some cloth from his mom and fixed a sail upon it and had it all ready to go. When it was all carved out just the way he wanted and sanded down to perfection, he got some bright paint and painted it beautifully. And it came the day when he was going to go and and set it on the river. And here he was. Here's his boat. He sets it in the water and fascinated as it begins to make its way downstream. And he's running along the side of the stream watching his boat. But pretty soon there's some underbrush and he has to go higher on the bank. And he's trying to keep in sight of his little boat. But pretty soon he has lost sight of it. He doesn't know whether it's been caught up in some rocks or in brush or if it's on further down the river. He seeks the rest of the morning, looking for his boat along the shore of the river, but doesn't find it. He's heartbroken. His first creation of his favorite gift is lost. But the next week, he's walking with his family down the main street of their little town, and there in the window of the local pawn shop was his boat, (laughs) battered and much worse for wear, but sure enough, it was his He was so excited, he ran in and said, you found my boat, you found my boat, can I have it? He said, what boat are you talking about, son? Well, right there in your window, it's my boat, I carved it and, and I lost it. And so the proprietor explained to him how a pawn shop worked and how he had purchased that from someone who had brought it in and now it was for sale. And so he begged him, please don't sell it to anyone else, I'll earn the money, I'll be back. And then he picked up every little job he could to make the pennies that it would take to go and purchase his boat. When the day finally came, when he proudly went in and put all of his coins there on the countertop and the proprietor gave him his boat, he clutched it to himself and said, you are mine. You're twice mine. I made you and now I bought you. And there's the joy of the Godhead to his disciples. I made you, and now I have bought you. We are bought with a price. He has created us. We were separated by sin. He made it possible for us to return with the cross. We have chosen to confess our sins. And He is faithful and just, as His word says, and forgives us our sins and purifies us from all unrighteousness. We are His by creation and by salvation. We belong to Him. Paul said, I am crucified with Christ, and yet I live. I can't tell where I end and he begins. It is Christ who lives in me. So we've been looking at the things that disciples are. Disciples are obedient. They keep his word. Disciples know him. Disciples belong to God. Now, this last one might not bless you as much as the others. We are in the world. We live in the midst of a sinful world. We recognize that that's where we will live out our life for Christ, which brings real problem for the Christian. We live in the midst of a sinful world. We have the Old Testament example of when they were taken into exile in Babylon and God said, settle down there, be a part of that community, bless that community. We live not being hauled off to some pagan world, but that pagan world has enveloped us so that we, too, are in exile. Sometimes we try to act too spiritual in that exile. Not too holy, not too godly. But I mean, if we have an idea of perfection that's out of this world, we'll never be able to live a spiritual life in the midst of the world where God has placed us. The concept of Christianity causes two responses. Some people, who are good people, but don't want to live as Christians because their idea of Christianity is unreachable. It's too idealistic. And some are compromisers or grumblers who live with the same concept of Christianity but try to live in an if-only world. I could be holy if-only. And usually what follows that if-only is something that has to do with the real world in which we live. I could be more spiritual if. And what follows that if is all the components of our lives. You have your list. We all have our list, you know, if... If I lived in a different house, if, uh, if I didn't have to drive on the freeways, if the phone wouldn't ring all the time, if my family were easier to get along with, if my children were grown up, if the dog wouldn't bark all the time, whatever it is, if people would just leave us alone. We live in the midst of the world where God has placed us. I could be holy if, and that is followed by all the elements of our lives. We have to come to grips with this truth about disciples, that we are in the world, just not of the world. Anything we do for Christ will be right there in that world. When I was a kid, we used to sing, this world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere along the blue, beyond the blue. I understand what they were talking about, the joy of heaven. But the fact is, for a time, this world is our home. And we must live as Christians in that world. World. We don't need an out-of-this-world experience. We're made for this world, and it's been made for us. We have feet and ground to walk on. We have eyes and the beauty of God's creation to behold. We have ears and the sounds that God gives to us. We've got a voice, and we've been singing in the music of this morning to join those voices together. We have arms, and one day soon we'll be able to hug each other again with those arms. We have lungs to breathe air, and air that sustains us. We recognize we are made for this world. God's will for his disciples is not that we be raised above the world, but that we would live our lives within that world. The problem of the Middle Ages was that they abandoned the world and took their Christianity off to monasteries while the world was on its way to hell. Finally, Luther and others decided we need to be down there among the people, sharing with them this truth of God, not just studying it off on some hill. We must not hide in the church. We must come to be equipped and then go to serve, to recognize that we will live out our lives in that world. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Gates don't attack us, we attack gates. We must take this message to the gates of hell. We must take it to our world and where those are hurting and dying. He said he would protect us from the evil one. And we rely upon that as we live out our lives in this world. Our problems in holiness are not solved by changes in our world, but by changes in us. And so Jesus prays that we will be changed, that we will be sanctified as he is truly sanctified. So as we come to prayer this morning, I want you to visualize your world, your house, your work, your family, your friends, your church. Visualize where you are. And realize that in the Corinthian letter, the second letter, Paul says all of the promises of God are yes in Jesus. And I want you, just as we pray, to say yes to your world. It may need changes, but those changes won't come by resentment. Say yes to your parents, to your spouse, to your children. Say yes to your burdens, your struggles, your job, your limitations. Because whatever you do for God will be done right there in that world right where he has placed you. That's right where he meets us. That's right where he uses us. You don't have to earn an audience with God. He welcomes us. And he welcomes us to receive in this belonging, in this obedience, in this knowledge of him, in this awareness that we're in the world and we're here to serve him. Matthew 10.8 says, Freely you have received Freely give, Dr. Brzee liked to say, I am debtor to every man to share the gospel in the same measure that I have received it. We have received the truth of God freely, freely as disciples. We should give it. Let's pray. Father, we come this morning recognizing that each of us has different challenges. Each of us has been placed in a different environment, in a different world. You have people for, for us to encounter and for us to minister to. You have situations that perhaps we are the only ones that can minister in that situation. And you will use us by the power of your Spirit. And so, Father, we have seen that disciples are those who obey you and know you, belong to you and serve you in the midst of a world that hates them. And yet we respond in love. Help us to take that world in which you have placed us and sanctify it to your glory and your kingdom. Guide us into your truth, for we love you in the name of Christ. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you and give you peace. God bless you. Have a great day.